Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Hey, thanks for being with us here on the program. I'm going to uh, do something a little different as we are here in the midst of the 2021, 20, uh, this particular year, and the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s, uh, to just jump right into our program today. I think you're going to enjoy this. We are going to be talking about um, uh, the third book. It's a novel of our guest uh, who uh, is a doctor as well, and we'll be getting some medical advice from him as well, because I think that's important to to take advantage of those opportunities that we might have uh, in that regard. No, I won't do that. Uh, you know, hey, Doc, I have a pain over here. No, his latest book, it's a novel. It's called Franklin Rock. And it is about a new genre of rock and roll. No, it's not. It is actually something you're going to really enjoy. And I am glad to have our guest, Dr. Mark, uh, Mark E. Klein, with us here on the program. Thank you so much for joining us. This is a, I think it's going to be a lot of fun today. Oh, I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun, at least for me. I can guarantee you that. I'm having a good time already just listening to you. Get, getting the word out is, is, is a lot of fun. That's what you're really trying to do, isn't it? That's right. I am. And not just about this particular book, but about the work. And, and what's interesting is it's not specifically or intentionally about the work you do as a doctor, but it's beyond that, isn't it? Yes. You know, I've been very fortunate. I've been a physician for a long time. I've seen many, 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 many patients, which is the best part about it being a doctor. Uh, getting to talk to patients, listening, hopefully being helpful. Uh, it's just a wonderfully rewarding experience. And I think uh, writing this book, really, I could not separate from my medical career because all these interactions with patients teach you so much about life if you're, if you're wise enough to listen to your patients. And that is a very different perspective than we might get from physicians Uh who are are the ones who are supposed to have the information now granted with the internet you know you can google this or that or the other um by the same token uh, for example i really like my primary care physician he's got a great i'll call it bedside manner i mean he's just uh i was diagnosed in uh, in july of 2020 with type 2 diabetes and I told him after the 30 minutes of shock wore off, I said, uh, yeah, well, uh, it's going to be a short-lived uh, type 2 diabetes uh, because I know what caused it, the, the pandemic. What did everybody go to in March and April of 2020? They went to comfort foods. They tell you to buy at the ends of the store. Well, everybody was buying in the middle of the store. And I knew that that was the reason why it had gone up. Well, can I tell you something interesting about that? Please. About half the people have done what you've done and eaten things they might not have eaten before and too much of it. And about half have gone the other way and lost weight. It's quite interesting. Uh, and there are lots of reasons because we all deal with these issues in a different way. Some yeah. people, like you said, will go to comfort food. Some people just get busy at home and never stop to eat a meal. Yeah. Uh, or when they do eat a meal, they eat quickly. So it's, but you know, all these things, like your experience getting that diagnosis, you know, when you get a diagnosis like that, the first thing most people think about is, oh, my God, what is this going to do to my life? Is it going to get shorter? That's question number one. Uh, uh, and is it going to not allow me to do things I love to do? And one of the reasons I wrote this book, Franklin Rock, is because life is 
to me, and I think to most people, not only precious, but fascinating. You know, the question is, why are we here? And what are we doing? And what's this all about? And what's important? And what should we worry about? And what wouldn't should we worry about? And my first two books were nonfiction books, and they discussed all those things. One was about the purpose of life, a tiny little topic I decided to take on. Uh, and the other one was a self type of a self-help book. But I realized that people love stories. People like to read stories, hear stories. And I, if I could create a story that was fun and interesting and somehow sneak some of those important messages into it, oh, wouldn't that be all the better? And I think that's what I hope I've done successfully in Franklin Rock. Well, um, I will tell you that that I couldn't agree with you more in terms of of uh, people's uh, starting to take better care of themselves, although, uh, sadly, uh, when we see the number of deaths due to this virus that has swept the globe, uh, here in the United States, I, I, heard, uh, uh, I heard a report, uh, specifically in New York City, or New York, maybe it was New York State, um, and this was probably back in June or July, they went back and they did a research <clears throat> on the people who had passed and what they'd passed from. And 99% of those people that had died from the virus actually didn't die from the virus. They died, 99% died from underlying conditions, heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, and you can go on and name those things, which basically said that if they had been healthy, if their immune systems had been strengthened in some fashion, they might have survived. But because they weren't really, and I'm not saying that, uh, that they all were, they had bad lifestyles, don't get me wrong, because I know a lot of this stuff is genetic too, isn't it? A fair amount, yes. Yeah, uh, but if they had taken better care, they might have survived. Well, for me in my diabetes diagnosis in July, and it was actually the 24th. The 23rd, I actually had two Cokes, okay? Now, here in California, we say that if you drink a Mexican Coke, one from Mexico, you're getting real sugar. Well, it's still sugar, okay? Um, and, of course, when I went in and had my blood sugar checked that 24th, it was, it was uh, 544. That's a big number. When they ran the blood and they did the A1C, and bear in mind, my blood sugar was normal, the last time they checked it, which was maybe a year or so ago, a uh, previous. Uh, but when they ran the A1C, it was 11.2. Well, the 24th, which was a Friday, my wife and I went to lunch, and we ordered uh, what they love to serve out here. It's called a fried chicken sandwich, which has, of course, chicken, avocado, mm -hmm. lettuce, tomatoes, and so forth uh, in a bun. Well, we said, no bun. We'll have salad instead of fries. So we started right then. To go back to the diet, if you will, or the way we were eating before the pandemic, when my blood sugar was normal. And this is the key here. I dropped my blood sugar back to normal in less than two months. Good for I, you. I have not had a soft drink, and we're talking about the traditional ones, okay, Coke and that kind of thing, since the 23rd of July, 2020. Okay. When I start seeing these commercials for these pharmaceutical drugs that bring someone's A1C down to seven, I'm going, are you kidding me? Are you people getting out and exercising? Are you changing your diet? And I'm saying this to the TV and my wife, who has been in the medical field for over 50 years, Doc, 
She says, well, you have to bear in mind that not everybody has the willpower. That's what I was going to say. This show should, this show is really about somebody who's got a lot of personal strength and willpower. Yeah. So good for you. It is hard for people to do. But how, I'll tell you something interesting. Please. I'm sorry. You Go ahead. No, I, well, I was just going to ask you, how does one boost their willpower? How does one do that? I mean, do you have any, any insight as to how one does that? I do. Uh, and it's really, in a sense, what I write about and what I talk about in my book. It's what the Franklin Rock, the main character, is about. What, what, when you stop and think about it, you know, why in the world are we all here? What's this world about? And our first reaction, well, I don't know, but whatever it is, I want to hang around a long time. I want to long, live as long as I possibly can. Well, if longevity is a goal of life, or similarly being rich or famous, then mm -hmm. people are going to act in a certain way when they act selfishly or when they, you know, step on other people or, you know, do things that we may not uh, uh, aspire to personally. But if those are really the goals of life, then you kind of say, well, I guess it makes sense. If the goal is to get rich, famous or live a long time, then you're going to have to push a lot of people out of the way to accomplish that. And you're going to worry a lot about it. But Supposing that's not what life is about. Supposing there's another story. Well, then things like longevity and wealth and fame become less important and allows you to refocus your life. And that's where the willpower comes in. Because if you're focusing all your willpower on having a great time and who cares, uh, you know, what I look like or who cares what my blood sugar is. And, you know, really, I'm just going to do, you know, do everything I can to to succeed financially or what, whatever it is. Right you're going to have a certain set of behaviors. But if those behaviors change, then you can all of a sudden refocus everything about the way you're living, change the focus that you have. And you, that's what's required for people to change the behavior. So in your example, you decided, wait a minute, I was a normal, healthy guy, and now I'm heading towards being a mess. Well, I don't want to be a mess. And I wasn't a mess before. So ah, I don't have to be a mess again. I'll just fix it. And you just very logically said, this is what I'm going to do. And you and your wife did it. And that's great. Because you have obviously a direction in your life and a purpose in your life, and uh, you don't—it was easy for you to make those changes. But for other people, it's not quite so simple. For other people, it's not easy to say, "Well, I'm just going to eat less or exercise more," unless you give them a reason to change it. And to me, the reason to change the way you live is because is to focus on the things that turn out to be the most important. So, for example, I like to say. Uh, most of us love chocolate cake. And if we're sitting around with a group of people and there's one extra piece of cake left, you're going to look at that and go, hmm, how can I manipulate the situation to get that last piece of cake? I really love chocolate cake and I would love the last piece of cake. Now, I got to be careful because I don't want to look like a jerk in front of everybody else. On the other hand, all the stress starts building up. How am I going to get that cake? When the truth of the matter is, if you give away the piece of cake, you're going to feel a thousand times better than if you ate it, not just physically, not because of your health, because it turns out that doing things for other people and helping other people is the most rewarding thing you can do. And I always say as a physician, for me, being a physician is a gift. If somebody calls me for help, and let me tell you, this happens 365 days a year. It can be a patient. It could be another doctor. It could be a friend of a friend. It could be somebody that just gotten my name from somebody. I get calls all the time. So what do I think? God, am I, am I thinking, oh, my God, I get no peace, even on my days off or vacation? No, I'm thinking, lucky me. Why lucky me? Because when somebody does that, they're saying, they're implicitly saying to me, I trust you. I value your opinion. 
Well, how great. That, that's the best thing you can have in this world for people to trust you and, and honor you with that. So as a physician, I always felt a physician who complained about a late night phone call. Well, I guess it was every night you didn't sleep would be a problem. But generally speaking, <laughs> you know, it's, it's an honor to do it. And I think that's the lesson. One of the lessons I've learned in life is giving and helping is not only rewarding, but I think that actually happens to be the secret, one of the major secrets to life. And that's one of the major themes in Franklin Rock. Well, you know, what I what I really enjoy about these these kinds of stories <clears throat> is is the underlying messages that that are put in there. And it takes and I, I'll be quite honest with you. It really does take someone who has a, a great talent for weaving those kinds of messages in. Did you know that you were a, a, a good as opposed to maybe a great, and maybe you are a great storyteller, uh, and putting things down into words in this regard. Well, it's very kind of you to say that. I'm not the kind of person that says I'm generally great at anything. Usually, at least once a day, I try to decide why I've been such an idiot. But because uh, <laughs> I think that's a healthy way to live. But you know, when I when I write these, when I when I write something magical happens, but it's not just for me. I think anybody who creates anything has had this experience. Uh, you get this image in your head, whether it be music or art or literature, if you're creating these things, they just kind of show up in your head. You don't really know where they come from. And then your job is to channel it right onto the final written page or uh, canvas or you know, uh, music, sheet, you know, sheet of music, whatever. Uh, I have found, for me, what works is I create the characters, and I let the characters come to life. I'm almost the observer. And I watch these, in my mind, I watch these characters interact and talk and think. And I just kind of let them go on their own. Mm -hmm. It sounds a little bizarre. I get that. But I try to let the characters um, become themselves. And I don't even know where they're going to go a lot of times. I created one character in the book. I had no idea that it was he was going to end up being my favorite character in the book. It was just a serendipitous moment uh the character's name is maurice burnside and he's a he teaches franklin uh frank franklin rock is a young starts as a college student and he realizes he's chosen for uh some important mission but he doesn't know what it is eventually finds out that he's, his job is to fix the world again another small little little challenge mm -hmm. franklin's chosen to fix the world <laughs> and he has a mentor as every you know good character who's got to fix the world has to have a mentor and uh, anyway, he he explores uh, through his his interactions with people. And that's another major theme in the book and a major theme in life, by the way. Uh, relationships are pretty much everything. You can take you can ignore pretty much the rest of the world. And if you focus on relationships, you win. You've got it. And I like to say the only thing that changes in life is the set. You go back 5000 years. Doesn't matter what society you go back to, the same stories are playing out. Mm -hmm. The same interactions among people, the the love, the greed, the hate, the anger, all these things are playing out again and again and again and again, which is an important theme of life, I believe, mm -hmm. that, that these things just keep recurring. So um, anyway, Franklin has has goes through all these things and uh, the stories about his adventures and how he gets to the point where he's really ready to fix the world and actually starts to do so. It's a super optimistic book because if you haven't figured it out by now, I'm a super optimistic guy. Yes, I indeed. see the world in a very positive way. I think there's a reason we're here. I think it's a great reason. And I think if you just focus on relationships, uh, 
you're gonna you'll get out of life what one needs to get out of life and i can promise you that well i guess i can't promise you anything but i feel strongly <laughs> that um that the goal of life is not longevity it doesn't matter how many days you live it doesn't matter how much money you end up with it doesn't matter how famous you are it really depends on if you learn to be a kind generous caring person who understands that relationships are the most important thing and as maurice burnside the character i mentioned says in the book when you begin to place other people's troubles ahead of your own, the burdens of your own life instantly lift. Mm. By the way, I have to say, uh, Maurice Burnside, what a great name. Where'd you come up with that? Uh, same place I came up with everything else. I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> uh, kind of like me with this program, the universe asks the questions. I'm just along for the ride. Exactly. Yeah. We're talking with uh, Dr. Mark Klein. He is the author of his latest work. It's a novel called Franklin Rock. I encourage you to uh, get a copy of it. The website where you want people to go to to find out more about this work, as well as the other books, the other two books that you have, and the work that you're doing, where would you want to send them? To my website, it's my name, Mark, M-A-R-K-E, middle initial E, Klein, K-L-E-I-N, Mark E. Klein, M-D, like doctor, dot com. Mm-hmm. And Klein doesn't seem to follow the rule of I before E except after C, except sometimes like Y and neighbor or in neighboring way. way. <laughs> neighboring way. <laughs> I can't yeah. believe I remember that from English. Very, very well done. Oh, my yeah. gosh. We're, 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 this is fascinating. And, and the thing that, that is so fascinating is what I'm about to share. I want to share this with you as well as our listeners very uh, apolitically. This has nothing to do with politics, <clears throat> but what I'm going to say, I think, has been borne out uh, in, in our current history. When the former president of the United States, who was elected in 2016, began his run, as I am watching the, th the, the events unfold, I'm watching the personality that is sh expressed and shared with us. My first thought was, you can't continue to spew out this negative vitriol, this, this caustic persona, and it not come back. I mean, it's, it's uh, uh, what is it? Uh, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. What, uh, what comes around goes around. And if I may, a little, a little uh, uh, um, uh, uh, disclaimer here, language. Karma's a bitch. <laughs> and what happened to this gentleman is exactly what I was saying back in 2015 as the days and weeks and months unfolded. There's no way that, that he's going to escape some form of retribution if, if he doesn't die of some internal... Um, metaphorical or what have you, hemorrhage of some kind, heart attack, high blood pressure, etc., diabetes for all we know. You, you just can't do that and, and sustain whatever it is that you're trying to sustain. It's kind of like what you were just talking about, that the reason we're here is relationships. That's the reason. Well, Apparently, he hasn't gotten that. Well, it's to learn. It's to learn. I should say it's to learn from relationships. Learn from relationships, and the relationships are the are the uh, the vehicle from which we learn how to move from being a child 
to a successful adult and having completed a successful, yeah. fulfilling life. And I'll say just a comment on what you just said about yeah. President Trump. Um, you know, I, one of my rules to try to do, again, I, uh, I talk a good game like most people, but I try to, I know the right thing to do is to judge people fairly, to assume the best, not the worst. Right. It's hard, very hard to do. And every time I get it wrong, every time I don't judge somebody favorably, I get it. I get a slap from the universe mm-hmm. at some point, kind of like what you just said. Mm-hmm. Always never fails. Yeah. So the main reason uh, that there's a pro- that Donald Trump's the things you described are a problem is because I can guarantee you he's not happy. Yeah. You can't be happy being angry and treating people poorly. So whatever you think about his politics, it's fine. I respect. Like I said, half the country. Loves his policies, half doesn't. I'm fine with that. People, sure. I'm not one of those people who freaks out when the other side wins. No, me neither. Me neither. Side because people are entitled to their opinion. I respect people's exactly. opinion. And I can tell you something else. I am not always right. And I would tell people the one thing you should always think about when you're in a discussion with somebody is to stop and ask yourself, could I be wrong? Right? You need to say, could I be wrong? Because the answer usually is, yeah, I could be wrong. Right? Yeah. So at any rate, if you want to be happy in your life, you know, Kindness is the key. Yeah. Caring for other people, giving to other people, judging people favorably. These are the key things. Don't run down uh, a hallway and yell at somebody of the other political party or get in their face at a restaurant or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Don't do that because I'll tell you two things will happen. One is you're going to be unhappy. That's not a way to get a calm, happy life. Mm-hmm. And that's not a way to get a fulfilling life. The number yeah. two is what you just said. It's coming back. Yeah. Right? It's going to come back and whack you in the head at some point. I yeah. agree with you. I, I've had that experience uh, in my younger years, which I apparently have learned enough, that I want to stay humble. And just as you say, I want to I want to be happy uh, because I've had situations where I get a little bit too big for my britches and the universe has a way of, uh, you know, uh, you know, straightening me out. And Doesn't that just stink? Don't you just hate that? Well, you on the one hand, yeah, anything, I, I, I agree. Absolutely. <laughs> I agree. I hate it. You know, it's not fun. By the same token, it's like, aha, okay, there is the sign that tells me, do I want to go through that again? All right. My comeuppance. Do I want to go through that again? Not really, because I didn't like it when I got punished by my parents and getting punished by the universe, so to speak. And I say that euphemistically or getting a correction, if you will, uh, isn't always fun. And, and I, I don't feel good when that happens, any, you know, and so forth. And I will tell you that, uh, um, again, this has nothing to do with politics. This has all to do with personality. Uh, there were two things that happened over the last five and a half years. The first was uh, that I went through four phases. And one of the last phase that I went through uh, was shared with me by one of our guests on this program. Uh, and I'll just skip the first three at the moment and just go straight to what they said when you are faced with a bully, because that's how I have seen this gentleman as a bully from my grade school and high school days. Uh, he says, uh, you let them say whatever they want and so on and so forth. And then you look them straight in the eye and you do it with all sincerity and you say three simple words. I love you. They don't know what to do with that. <laughs> it knocks them back on their heels. And so I have, a, I'm sorry. Go, ahead. go, no, no, please, please I'm, jump there's in. There's a story, there's a short little vignette. Franklin Rock travels in time. 
But he doesn't travel in time for no reason at all. He travels in time for short bursts to learn things primarily and to meet the people he needs to meet and so on. Mm -hmm. But there is one episode where Franklin Rock goes back and he shows up, even though he's an adult, he shows up as a child. So he's in his child's body. And he's, I think it was like second grade and he's having, a, he's come, comes upon the schoolyard and the school, the class bully uh, uh, is having a catch with another kid. And Franklin says, uh, throw it to me or something. And the kid throws the ball directly at his head at like as fast as he possibly can. Knocks Franklin down, right. Now, remember Franklin Rock, he's a, he's a kid. He's a second grader physically, but he's, he's a 21 year old mm -hmm. at that point in his head. And he gets up. Uh, and he walks over to the kid and he thinks in his head, I can have this kid on the ground with my, with my uh, knees on his throat in two seconds because I know what to do. But instead, he walks over to him and does something like that. He doesn't say he loves you, but he says, you know, everybody, everybody wants to like you if you were just a bit nicer. And I can tell you how to do that. I can guarantee you if you do what I tell you now, if you apologize to me, everybody, all your classmates are going to love you. Something like that. Yeah. And the kid looks at him and goes, really? And he says, yeah, try it. He says, if, you, if, it, if it doesn't work, you can beat me up, right? And, <laughs> and the kid steps back and says, Franklin, I'm sorry. And all the girls jump up and all the kids come around and say, oh, you're, you're so nice. You know, you're so, we knew you could be nice and bang, right? Yeah. So exactly. You know, it might be hard for somebody to say, I love you. But it's not so hard to realize that the person who's most in pain at that point is generally not you. People don't treat other people so horribly if they're happy, if they feel good about themselves, if their self-esteem is high. They don't do that. These are the people that do that are people who are on the opposite end of the spectrum. They're, they've, been, they've been treated terribly in their lives. They're angry. They have no self-esteem, whatever the reasons might be. Yeah. I'm not excusing. I'm just saying that's the way it is. You can turn that around. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my, uh, my staff often calls me the patient whisperer. <laughs> I didn't know about it. For the first 20 years, I didn't know they called me that. They said, don't you know we call you the patient whisperer? I go, no, why? He goes, because you can turn every patient around. And I never thought of it, right? But, mm -hmm. you know, rather than get into a confrontation with a patient, first of all, it's not fair because most patients have a problem. They're scared. They're worried. They're, they don't feel well, whatever it is. So they're starting out at a disadvantage. And I've got, you know, I got the, some, of the, some of the information they want. So it's kind of stupid for me to get into a fight with them. What's the point of that? Yeah. On the other hand, I can generally, if I don't get into the argument and listen to them and understand, I can generally turn them around. I don't think it's really that difficult, but it just doesn't work in medicine between a doctor and a patient. It works exactly what you just said. Mm -hmm. You just hit the nail on the head. You know, you don't have to say I love you, but if you perform in a way or act in a way of kindness and forgiveness and, and offering assistance, you're generally going to do very well unless you're dealing with a psychopath in which case, it might not work. Well, that's true. That's true. But by the same token, I would say that even psychopaths are in that same category that you just described. Yeah, They're that not was supposed happy. to be a joke. It didn't work too well. Yeah. Now, I interviewed a gentleman who actually wrote a book in regards to uh, uh, psychopaths. Uh, and he said, or narcissists, if you will. And he said that, yeah, we see all the negative stuff and we really don't like it and so forth. But he says, you know, there's one th element that people aren't, are not looking at and objectively. There's a lot we can learn from psychopaths because they're the ones that get things done. Okay? Uh, they're the ones that actually, uh, granted, a lot of times they've, they will violate, quote unquote, the rules, okay, to get things done. They'll step on people to get things done. But they have that drive, okay? 
that is something we can learn from, that, that if we really want something without stepping on people, without breaking the rules, we can do the same thing. And I'll use that example of my diabetes, my type 2 diabetes. In less than two months, I had it down normal. Uh, and so I'm looking at that and I'm going, okay, how can I use that to motivate me to, in other areas of my life? I did that in less than two months. And, and then my doctor was saying, hey, it's going to be a long journey, Richard. And I'm just going, uh-uh, no, it's not. <laughs> and I, I just, and it wasn't that I took the bull by the horns per se. As I said, my wife and I just went back to the way we were before the pandemic started. And my blood sugar was normal and so forth. I think you bring up a very important point, which is success does breed success. And it's especially important in kids. So I don't know about you, Richard, but you know, you've been in a mall or a store and you see some parent just yelling at their kid and it just breaks your heart, right? And yeah. you know, that gets incorporated into that child's psyche. Whereas a parent who says to the, your kid, you're smart. I know you're smart and you're a good and you're a good kid. Now, maybe the kid isn't the brilliant, isn't Albert Einstein. Maybe the kid isn't really the best kid. But the more you tell that to your child, the more that child thinks, yeah. And then you say, not only are you smart, but if you work hard, you can do anything. And then you start out with a small project and the child succeeds and you go, see, I told you you could do it. Mm -hmm. I'm smart. My parent loves me and I can do anything. Well, there you go. You're on your way. Right. You're on your way. That kid is on his way. So on his or her way. So, yeah, having that sense of, of success to know that you can do something. And then what you thought, Sarah, I thought was incredibly important. Most people don't say that, you know, you had success in you know, taking care of your medical situation. But you immediately uh, translate that into how can I take that success and do it and move it towards uh, or apply it to the other areas of my life? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's fantastic yeah. to do that. I think. You know, everybody, or most people, I think, or maybe everybody has the ability to do that if they want to, instead of wasting your life. Yeah. Focus it. And I guess that's the key right there, if they want to. I mean, I guess it goes to how badly do you want it? You know? Well, I would say, I think you'd agree that most people want to be happy. Yeah. So what generates happiness? I can think of two major things that generate happiness. One of the relationships we talked about, which I think is paramount, right? So you and I, believe it or not, in this short time have developed a relationship, mm -hmm. right? So it's not a nothing relationship. It's an important relationship. And who knows where it's going to lead or, you know, uh, what's going to come of this. But at the very least, we've shared some really good ideas. So relationships are key. The other thing are the accomplishments that you manage to accrue in your life. And it can be tiny. You know, you learn how to do a little, make a little, uh, woodworking project, or if you're, mm -hmm. you're like to cook, you learn some new recipes, or it doesn't matter what it is. But when you when you have start a project, and you finish it, uh, like when I finished, you know, this book, right? So mm -hmm. I have this book in my hand, when I got when I got the copy of this book in my hand mailed to me, I went, wow, you know, <laughs> that's pretty good. Right, right. Thank you. Right. That's pretty good. I mean, I, you know, it was a lot of work. And here it is. And Maybe people will like it. I hope they will. I think they will. But nevertheless, that's a pretty good accomplishment. And yeah. that made me feel good, right? Yeah. So I, I think if people get the confidence and, and the reinforcement, especially when they're young, they can do these things and get a little success, that sensation of being successful just carries over and makes you want to do more. It's the people who've never had the encouragement, the, the love, 
the reassurance and never got those successes that are going to have a harder time later on. It's not impossible to turn it around. Yeah. Yeah. Life is a long time. You can turn it around like two days before the end if you want. But the point is, the more you get that along the way, I think the better. And that's kind of what I try to do as a parent. Yeah. Um, well, you know, well, you, you, you kind of alluded to this when it came to politics and government, uh, and, and uh, I, I look at history, and it's more recent history in the last, let's say, 40 or 50 years. And I'm 60, so that's my history. Um, and uh, I know that a lot of people, they just, they would get so wound up. For example, uh, when nominees uh, uh, for, let's just say, the Supreme Court are announced by the given president, whoever it is, doesn't matter who it is. And the other side just goes ballistic, all right? And where I learned this was during the Reagan years. All right, I was in my 20s, and I learned this in the Reagan years. I can't remember if he appointed two or three who were, uh, who, were uh, 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 who, who served on the court. And what was fascinating to me was how once they were in, appointed by a conservative president, Everybody's thinking on the other side, oh, God, conservative, they're going to destroy the country by making all the decisions in a conservative manner. And all of a the sudden, they, see, they hear these cases and they rule, if you will, in the other direction than you would have thought. Wait a minute, this is a conservative court. How could they rule this way? And I, I, the, what I learned was because they don't, they don't uh, uh, write their, their, their uh, uh, positions based upon politics or ideology. They base it on the law and the Constitution. And so every time uh, somebody is nominated and then approved by the Senate, I'm going, so what? So what? what? Big deal. And here we have, in the last four years, uh, we had a man who uh, uh, nominated three conservative judges, and people went absolutely bonkers on the other side, just absolutely ballistic. And yet, I'm sorry. Yeah, and then, and so, and then you start seeing the cases coming out, and I'm going, see, I, you know, I'm trying to tell you people, it doesn't matter who's nominated. Just, just do it, and and we'll see what happens. You well, had a you had a comment. Let's, let's extend that thought a little bit. Yes, it's a really please. Good, a yeah. Really good point. So one of the themes also in in Franklin Rock is about choice. So what you're talking about is you know a choice was made, and oh my God, we know how this is going to work out. It's going to be terrible. You know, if, if, let's say in this case you were on the left, and you saw these three con- conservative justices appointed. You go, this, this is the end of the world. You know, we got to change everything. It's a disaster. Okay, I, I, I share your feeling, by the way, completely. Mm. I, I'm not, I don't have an ideological position, but I, I absolutely share your position because you never know how a choice is going to work out. And that's not just in picking Supreme Court justices. It's in everything. So when you make a choice, each of us makes so many choices every day. When you make a choice, the truth is you have no idea how that choice is going to work out. Mm-hmm. You think there's a best choice. You think there's a right choice, but it turns out it's not true. And I'm going to explain why. When you make a choice, that choice, as soon as it's released from your body, let's imagine it like a little molecule coming out of your body. As soon as that happens, all the choices made by the other 7 billion people on this planet are going to start interacting and bouncing off of your choice. And they're going to make, move your choice to the left they're going to move it to the right and they're going to move it up and they move down. They're going to get, it's going to get bounced all over the place. Like, like a ping pong ball intersecting with a bi- 7 billion other ping pong balls mm-hmm. or even more. Cause each person makes 
way more than one choice. Right. So where that ping pong ball ends up, where your choice ends up is impossible to predict. There is no way. Well, think about that for a second. Think how liberating that is. We all worry, we stress, oh, is this the right choice? What should I do? And it turns out there's no way to know. So make a choice, what you think is the best choice and let it go. And don't worry because there's no way to predict what's going to happen. Remember Yogi Berra, that famous New York Yankee from years ago, had this fame, he, was, he had this uh, knack for malapropism, said really funny things. And one of them said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. You know, what, what does that mean? When you come to a fork in the road, take it. And everybody laughed. But as it turns out, Yogi was right. Pick one because it doesn't matter. There's no way to know which is the right one. It's extremely liberating. It's extremely freeing because now you, you don't have to worry anymore whether or not a choice you make was the right one. There's no way to know. You know, as our conversation unfolds here, um, <clears throat> uh, and I'm not, I'm not, uh, this is not an attempt to make you wrong by any means, but to update our listeners, as of our conversation, there are 7,838,990 and counting individuals on the planet. That is taking the births and deaths uh, with a, an algorithm, if you will, mathematical formula. So we are fast approaching 8 billion, and that causes that ping pong ball effect to be even greater. And that's really the sort of the, the, the synopsis, if you will, of my book, which is called Choices, Five Steps for Life. Um, that, uh, and I heard something about choices. That I, this is fascinating. I'd love for your input on this, please. I, I used to hear, and you probably are familiar with this, that uh, our choices of the past have created our present, and our choices of the present will create our future. But I heard something in a documentary not too long ago about choices that said that if you look at it from a different perspective, it is our perception of the future that forms our choices of today. I had never considered that before. In other words, if you think that the world is going to come to an end in 15, 20 years, you might become a prepper. Now, I was accused of being a prepper after I bought uh, our, our travel trailer, and then I bought an external uh, a dump tank for our, uh, our gray and black water tanks on the trailer. When it arrived at the radio station, one of our, excuse me, one of our hosts basically says, I always knew you were a prepper. I said, no, I'm not a prepper. I just need this external tank so that because my wife used the trailer at our house as a spare room of sorts. And we sometimes use the water in there, you know, and I've got to dump it so that it doesn't build up and so on and so forth. Uh, but I thought that was so fascinating when I heard that. Let me just add something about the choices. I don't want to mislead the, your listeners and certainly you. Uh you know, you made the choice not to drink Coke and eat the bun, mm -hmm. right? That's a choice. It was a smart choice. I'm not talking about choices like that. No, right? no, no. I'm just talking about when you get to a thing, I don't know which which job should I take. Yeah. Right. What schools should I go to? Right. Which which uh, vacation should I take? Things like this. You have no way of knowing. In terms of the future, do we have time to talk about time? Absolutely. Yes, we okay. have time. And and uh, by the way, if yes. you want to travel in time, let's go nuts. <laughs> Okay. So as I mentioned, Franklin Rock travels in time. Uh, time to me, uh, as my wife would tell me, I'm totally obsessed with time. 
And I'll tell you why I'm obsessed with time, because time, when you, well, I think when you understand how time really works, and I would tell you the vast majority of people have no idea, because mm-hmm. uh, it's very complex, but um, it changes the way you look at the world. So let me give you an example. So if you were to look at a, if you would ask most people about how they see time, they would picture a timeline. So like on the left side of the timeline, you'd see ancient history, Mesopotamia, the Egyptians, whatever you want. Then you kind of move to the Roman Empire, Dark Ages, so on, and you get to the present day, 21st century. And then if you look to the right, that would be something called the future. And it's a blank sheet of paper. It's a, there's nothing on that line. But that's not how time works. And this comes from Albert Einstein, his theory of relativity, his first theory of relativity called special relativity. But without boring people, basically all time exists the same. And if Albert Einstein was sitting here, he would tell you that the past, present, and future are just an illusion. All time exists contemporaneously in that sense. So let me tell you a great way, I think, to think of this. So people's heads won't blow up. <laughs> I like to think of time as a jukebox. So if, you, if you're standing in front of a jukebox and you have all these records in front of you, and let's say we're going to play the oldest record, the newest record, and we're going to put the oldest record on the left and the newest record on the right. We're going to play all these songs in order, all these records in order. So you put your money in, the first record comes out, boom, and it gets played. Song is over. What happens to that record? Does it explode? Does it disappear? Does it melt? Does it, is it gone forever? No, it just kind of slides back into its slot. And it stays in that slot forever until you pull it out again. So that's how moments of time are. Each one lives in its own little slot, and it's there forever. So you can go back and think about the day you met your wife. I hope that's a good memory for you. I assume it is. You're still married. <laughs> so you go back. That, that moment that you met your wife is just as alive as the moment you and I are talking now. Now, that's a very hard thing to wrap your head around because we don't see it. But it's just like the record in the jukebox. It's there forever. Now, what's the implication of that? Well, there's a couple of implications that I think are important. One is that in a very real sense, we never lose anybody. Now, in this era of COVID, when we've lost 400,000 people and heading north of that, and most people we know have had some loss. And we haven't, as I often say, we haven't, the other diseases haven't taken a vacation, right? They're mm-hmm. still around. Mm-hmm. People still dying, 500,000 people are dying of lung cancer a year and so on and so forth. So there's just a lot of death. And especially now, there's a lot of loss. But the truth is you can't lose anybody because the moments you were together never go away. And I'm not making this up. This isn't some metaphysical new age guru (laughs) speak. This is the way it works. This is physics. Yeah. Yeah. I find that extremely comforting. The other thing you can pull out of this uh, knowledge is that the future has already been written. Now, people would say, what does that mean? We have no control over the future. I would just say it's probably a little more complicated, but the future has already been written. That we know. So that's one of the reasons Franklin Rock can travel to the past and actually travels to the future. Uh, Those moments are just like the same records in the jukebox as record number one, record down the road in the future is already in its place in its jukebox. It's very difficult. It tells us something very important. I like to just say it tells us the world is not what we think. Our assumptions of life are not what you think. Death is not what you think. Hmm. So it's, I would tell people, don't worry about death. Don't worry about it. I can't tell you what happens. I don't know. But I can tell you, don't worry. It's all part of this whole process. And, and it doesn't matter whether you live 50 years or 70 years or 100 years or 20 years. It doesn't matter. That I know. So take a deep breath. Don't fret about it. Hmm. 
what what happens after? I have no idea. So I, you know, you have to get another guest on your show for that one. I can't, <laughs> I'm not going to tackle that one because I don't know. No. But the point is, these are very to me. These are very comforting themes to yeah. know that you really never live lose anybody. That death is not what you think it is. That the world is different. That allows you to focus on what's important: getting yeah. back to those relationships, getting back to being a kind, generous person, and helping others. Dr. Marky e. Klein is my guest. His latest work is uh, Franklin Rock. Franklin Rock is the title of the book, and uh, MarkEKlein.com is the website, which we will be Mark linked. Marky e. Klein, MD, MD. I beg your pardon, MD. Put an MD at the end there, and then .com. Uh, uh, MarkEKleinMD.com is the website, so we certainly hope that you will go there as well. By the way, this <clears throat> uh, also speaks to uh, what I talk about in terms of choices. And, you know, you talked about, uh, you know, you come, uh, you know, when uh, you come to the fork in the road, take it. Uh, as, uh, what was it, uh, Yogi Berra said? Yogi Berra. Well, uh, it, what's interesting is when you talk about how the future's already been written, <clears throat> I would have to say that in one sense... Uh, the future's already been written, but in multiple timelines because it depends Ooh, upon yes. depends upon which choice we make, whether it's one of three, one of four, one of five, one of six. And once we make that choice, then we go down that path to that future again, as you say, that has already been written. And the other timelines, they'll just sit there and some, you know, and so forth. Uh, I mean, there are even those who tell us that we are living multiple timelines and it's just where our consciousness is focused. For example, maybe in our dreaming time when we're sleeping, we might travel to one of those uh, one of those areas. I um, boy, now I can't remember it, but uh, I don't usually remember my dreams and, and I need to start telling myself. Remember your dreams when you wake up. Remember your dreams. Because I was awoken abruptly. Oh, and now I remember what it was. My wife and I were at this elegant dinner party with dozens of people uh, mingling around and dressed in their finery, women in their gowns and guys in their suits or tuxes and, you know, that kind of thing. And it was just really cool. And I don't recall what the, the special occasion was. It really didn't matter. All I knew was... That's where we were. And I remembered that. But, of course, as I said, I was woken abruptly by my wife uh, uh, coughing. And, um, and, and I was able to remember that particular dream. So now I have to get my conscious mind to say, look, I want to remember my dreams. They're important to me because, first of all, I, I dream in color. Uh, I dream with sound. Uh, although I've had a couple of dreams that were nothing but sound, which was really fascinating. One was when my wife and I went to Ireland back in 2004 for her birthday. And um, <clears throat> I had this dream one night of a dear friend of ours who passed away in our home in Phoenix. And uh, he said to me, I recognized the voice. There was no image. He said, don't say anything bad in front of Bridget. Well, we're on our Ireland trip. We're out on the uh, Aran Islands in Inishmore. And we're at this area called the, the Five Churches or something. like. I think that was the name of the place. And there are cemeteries, as you know. I'm sure you've seen pictures. I mean, they've got cemeteries. They've got people buried in the walls and the churches and the floor and so forth. And I'm over at this one uh, a table. It looked like an altar. And there was this giant stone round stone with a hole in it. And I was taking pictures of it. And she came over and I said, yeah. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm taking pictures of the first wheel. 
And uh, she says, you need to come over here. And I said, okay. So we walked over and she, and there was this gravestone on the flat on the ground. She says, read the gravestone. And I looked down. Now my wife's maiden last name is McDonough. And the name on the gravestone was, are you ready for this? Bridget McDonough. <laughs> so I have a good one for you when you're done. Immediately put my hand over my mouth turned and walked away, remembering the dream. <laughs> so, Richard, there's something I've termed a Franklin Rock moment. Uh-huh. And I'm going to give you the definition, and you're going to get a little chill, okay? So a Franklin Rock moment is when, is when you get, when there is a hint of the mystery of the universe is suddenly and unexpectedly revealed. And you had a Franklin Rock moment. Mm. Something, mm. when you put your hand on your mouth, it was a glimpse into another level that you can't explain and I can't explain, mm. but it is so powerful, you can feel it like, oh my God, right? Right? These Franklin Rock moments that we all have when, the hint, when the, a hint of the mystery of the universe is suddenly and unexpectedly revealed. It tells us that there's another level so I happen to remember my dreams. There's a lot of bad dreams in Franklin Rock, by the way. Uh, in fact, there's a conversation with Carl Jung, the very famous psychologist mm -hmm. in the book, who was, who was the, the father of dreams. Uh, and I happen to remember a lot of my dreams. My wife would tell you my dreams are just bizarre. But I, <laughs> probably every, I just happen to remember them, right? But I, everything you've just said, I couldn't agree more. First of all, those, the, the comment on your multiple timelines that's really, and uh, I don't know how much you know about quantum physics, but you are referencing quantum physics when you do that. The whole idea that there are multiple universes. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I would say a large, large number of physicists now believe, though it sounds crazy that there are an infinite number of universes, is probably true. And when you make a choice, you kind of, it's like you're on a, a, a tree and you head off to another branch, mm -hmm. just like you said. Yeah. And you called it a timeline, whatever. But right. So that's why I said earlier, if you might remember that, even though the future is already written, it's a little more complicated than that. And I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, again, I don't want to be too dogmatic, but the choices you make do probably send you along a different course. Yeah. So you, you have some degree of, of, of free will in this world. Deja uh, vu moments are very interesting, too. I was seven years old. I remember this distinctly. Uh, I thought I was going to go crazy as a seven-year-old. How Why would a seven-year-old think they were going crazy? But I did. Because every time I turned around, I'd go, I've been here before. And I would turn again. I would do something else. I've done this before. I had never done it. That, To my recollection, I hadn't done it at all ever in my life. Seven years old. I hadn't been around long enough. And yet there I was. And, I, and every time I turned around, I'd have another deja vu moment for, throughout the day. What I've come to understand is that when I get those deja vu moments... It is the universe, this is my interpretation, it's the universe telling me that I'm on the right path, I'm going in the right direction. That's all it's telling me. I like that. Okay? <clears throat> and I have believed, I be have believed for the majority of my life that I have been in the right place at the right time. Uh, I have been through uh, one marriage and divorce. I'm in a second marriage, never to, I have made the commitment that I'm going to do everything in my power to make this relationship work. And for 22, 20, 
yeah, 22 years. No, 23. 23 years we've been together, okay? And we will have been married uh, eight. We, we were married 18 years in December of 2020. Um, I have uh, I've, I've worked for a number of different radio stations. And what's interesting is in spite of the stereotypical you move from station to station uh, in your market or around the country uh, over and over again. And yet I stayed at one station for 15 years. I stayed at another station. Uh, I'm actually at one now that I'm almost reaching that 15 year mark. Also, uh, I've done other jobs other than radio. I will tell you that as much fun as I have doing these interviews, there's only one job I would ever go back to because it was so much fun. Believe it or not, it's not available anymore. I wish it was. And that was was when I was a paper boy on the bicycle delivering (laughs) newspapers because I got to meet some incredible people. So doing these interviews is kind of like that paper route, if you will. It's really very cool. Yeah. It's about the relationships yeah. which you're responding to are these great relationships. Of course, that's why it's so much fun, honestly, to be a doctor. That's it's, oh it's, yeah. It's so I, I was I was with my wife. My wife was uh, we were at some type of gathering. Maybe it was at her church, and uh, this is a number of years ago. And her pastor was a very nice guy, and uh, at the time, and I, he, he, we just we were just meeting. I think it was the first time. And he said, "What do you do?" And I told him I'm a doctor. And I said, uh, "He said, how do you like it?" I go, "Well, it's great. I get to help people every day. I get to meet these people. You know, it's great to have the opportunity to help somebody every day." And I looked at him. And I went, "Actually, you have the same kind of job, right?" So it's true. He's a pastor. What's he doing? He's helping people, right? That's what he's up to, right? And it's the same thing. So when you were a paper boy, uh, and you had the interactions with all these people, that that's nothing better than that, right? It's nothing better than getting than meeting people, developing relationships, even what I call little small ones, like, yeah. like on your paper route or, or even a conversation like you and I are having who've never met each other. But clearly, you know, we already have a relationship. Yeah. I, that's where I, the joy is, right? Yeah. And I remember, too, and, and I was fortunate when I was delivering the papers that I was delivering to apartment complexes uh, on a roughly half-mile stretch, which was great because I had like 100 customers at one time, maybe even a little more than that loaded up the bicycle, the paper bags on the bike, and I would be able to drive into the complex, uh, travel around the pool, tossing papers, you know. <laughs> and, and one day I tossed one through the front door, that it, which was open. Don't get me wrong. I didn't crash the door. Uh, but through the front door that was open, and it landed in the lap of the customer. And he says, he yelled through the door. He says, now that's what I call personal service or, you know, delivery kind of thing, which was very cool. Um, and I loved it. It was, I didn't care much for the Sundays because they were huge. If, uh, <laughs> you know, I've heard that the New York Times as well as the Los Angeles Times, they were just enormous um, phone book kind of things. Awesome. Arizona right. Republic was kind of like that in Arizona in Phoenix. Um, but it was so great. I mean, and the money was, it was, you know, it was fine for a high school kid, you know, uh, it was, sure. and that was really <clears throat> one of my, that was my first actual job, um, as a kid growing up. So, um, yeah, that, that, that and, and ever since then, it has just been that. And I think that's what the newspaper uh, industry or at least the paperboy portion of it uh, really taught me was about those relationships. And I I mean, I met some fascinating people. Uh, I mean, I, I think about that from time to time and I try to think about those people. Some of them have probably passed on. That may be true, at least as far as our present reality is concerned. But they haven't well, really be, because I, I still remember them. I have good news for you. Not only do you remember them, 
you're still delivering that newspaper. Yeah. Oh yeah. Those moments are still alive. Isn't oh, that yeah. it's such it's such a again, I call it a comforting thought to be able to know that it that is. joy you had, you are still experiencing that joy back in the other side of the jukebox. Oh yeah. So yeah. yeah. I think that I think those those they're just not they're more than memories. And I and I think by the way, I just want to comment on your dreams before. I think that your your comments before on dreams, uh, there are some people who actually think that what you said that our dreams reflect are a rea- a different reality. Mm-hmm. Now they're really bizarre. I mean, some dreams just have all kinds of crazy yeah. events and people and strange things. But they they uh, there are some people who believe they actually are what you said. They're they're little, little trips. Your consciousness is somewhere else. That yeah. I cannot evaluate. Yeah. And one of our our most popular guests on the podcast, even to this day, I interviewed her back in 2018, <clears throat> and. Um, of course, I check the stats every so often, and hers is still one of the top five interviews being listened to dealing with dreams. But one of the most fascinating things she said, uh, though she she facilitates people interpreting their dreams, but she doesn't have some book that has the symbolism of the, the the elements in someone's dream. Like, well, I had a dragon and a dog and a big tall building. Okay, the dragon means this, the dog means this, the building means... She doesn't do that. She right. facilitates the dreamer interpreting their own dream because they are truly the only ones that can do that. But she has a special technique and steps that she takes them through to help them to understand what their dreams mean for them. And uh, that really goes to the heart of one of the things that we promote on this program that we've been promoting since September of 2019. And that is, <clears throat> it started out with the 20, with 2020, the, the year of perfect vision, which is long since passed, uh, but is still with us. Okay. I, uh, you, you <laughs> diving off of your, your uh, platform there. But now we're into the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. And uh, we encourage people to go within, to spend time with self, to learn about self. How about that aspect of knowing oneself? Who was it that said uh, uh, about knowing thyself? Uh, something, I, I can't even remember the quote now. Yeah, off the, Shakespeare. Shakespeare. It was Shakespeare. Um, By the way, a good rule of thumb, if you ever had a good line, it probably came from Shakespeare. (laughs) Okay. It always sounds right anyway. Hey, it works for me. Uh, But it's it's one of those things that we we have a dark side and a light side, as many people, you know, have, have theorized. And, well, regardless, all of that is what makes us who we are. But a lot of times we disassociate or divorce ourselves from some of the dark side, but it's the dark side that it makes us who we are today. It doesn't mean that's where we live. It just means that's part of who we are. It's just like when you walk outside in the sunlight, you have a shadow. Well, because there's sunlight, you're going to have a shadow. You cannot escape it. You can't get rid of the shadow. Um, So, you know, embrace the shadow side. Uh, Because when we try to, uh, to, let's say we have guilt, or regret. I believe regret is like pulling a thread from the tapestry of our lives. And eventually when you pull that one, then you got to pull another one and another one. Well, guess what? Now you're no longer who you have become because you've removed parts of you. Well, we can't do that. Ergo, don't regret it. All right. It doesn't mean you have to like it. 
but embrace it. That's, that's part of who I am. That's what makes me who I am. And I learned from it. And here I am today. I'm, you know, I'm a happy person. I'm optimistic like you. I still have great optimism for the future. I don't believe necessarily that we are going to end up in the sixth mass extinction event that many people fear. That's what they fear is the future for us. I, I don't. You know, and if it happens, it happens. There's nothing I can do about it anyway. But what I can do is right here, right now, say, look, here is where we are. Well, let's talk about two things you just mentioned. One is regret. Mm -hmm. So if you go back to what I was talking about, about choices, Mm -hmm. that you never know how anything is going to work out. That's one reason to do exactly what you recommend, which is forget regret. It's a a useless, it's a useless emotion. Mm -hmm. It doesn't change anything, but... It also ignores the fact that you only had so much control to begin with. Mm-hmm. That's number one. So number two is what you mentioned about sh- the shadow. And Carl Jung, who I mentioned earlier, a famous psychologist, uh, would tell you that dreams are an expression of working out the shadow side, what you talk about, of ourselves, the parts that we haven't really come to grips with, our weaknesses, the, the things you, you, some of the things you mentioned. We won't, we won't turn this into a psychology class, but, <laughs> but that's really what, in his view, that's what dreams often do. You know, in terms of that shadow side, uh, I don't look at it as evil. Um, I'm not so sure everybody has evil in them. I think if, you, uh, if you're lucky enough to, born up, to be brought up in a family or in, in a community and a society that uh, is not filled with hate and violence and anger, there's, you probably don't have a lot of that in you. Uh, I think this is, these, are, these are learned things. You know, I, I'll give an example. One of my pet peeves is all the violence on television and in music. And there is no doubt in my mind uh, that it affects us, that we get used to it. We get it, we get immune to it almost. You know, something blows up, uh, it happens all the time. Somebody gets shot, we hear it all the time. What's the big deal? And we've seen it on TV. I mean, you turn on TV any, every night or whether it be Netflix or, you know, uh, network TV, somebody's getting shot somewhere, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Crime, crime, crime. And we focus on this like it's a natural thing, but the truth is it has an effect on us. Mm-hmm. And I'm not about to preach uh, censorship or tell people what to watch or read. I'm, I'm, not, that's, I'm not interested in that. And I don't think we should. But I can tell you, it has an effect. Mm-hmm. If you surround yourself with the Hallmark Channel, right, versus whatever the, uh, the other side of that is, the people watching the Hallmark Channel at the end of the day are going to be happier. It's mm-hmm. just the way it is. If you fill your life with love and kindness and generosity, then maybe you call, maybe you say it's naive or you're a Pollyanna. But you're going to be happier. It's just, I'm just telling you, you don't have to agree. It's just a fact. It's just what's going to happen. And I think one of the problems in our society is we have so much of this hate and anger and rage and negativity and violence. And you're just going to promote more of it, right? Whereas if you do the opposite, you know, one of the the missions from Franklin Rock is to fix, his mission is to fix the world. And one of these, his missions is to get, you know, kind of control the violence. Yeah. And, uh, well, way, one of the ways to do it is to, is to limit the amount we have in our lives. Yeah. Well, there's a, a step in my five steps to life, the book Choices, and that has to do with um, match your personal input to your choice. Now, my wife and this book is based upon a question that I asked her as she entered uh, into uh, uh, the surgery to remove the cancerous uh, lymphs and so forth. <clears throat> uh, and I asked her. 
and and I actually phrased it this way. I mean, I still remember when I stood in front of her uh, in the bed there, and I said, what do you want to do? Do you want to live or do you want to die? Now, that seems awfully blunt to someone who's facing potential death, because she was, I believe, at three stage three or four. And... Um, and she, of course, had made that decision, told me later, she'd actually made that decision weeks earlier, but nonetheless. And uh, so when you make a choice, you have to uh, surround yourself with the people and the experiences and the personal input, as I say, what you read, what you listen to, what you watch, uh, what you, you know, and so forth. You need to have those, the, all of that match what it is you've chosen? And if you want to live, then you need to surround yourself with those things that support that choice. I almost had to ask her, but I didn't because she has to make the choice. But I almost had to ask her not to let her ex-husband come around. They were still friends and they are friends to this day, which I think is wonderful. Uh, but I said, he's just being negative. He's constantly, you know, talking about the, the downside of the cancer and so on and so forth. And and that the chemo eh, may not work and this and that and the other thing. And I'm thinking... You need to tell him to either stop talking like that or not come in until he can make it the shift. But again, I, I just have to be there to support her the best I can. And so um, I couldn't agree with you more in that regard. I, I myself have to, uh, because my wife does like some of these, the crime programs, like 48 oh, Hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the movies and the, the zombie programs like uh, The Walking Dead. I... I don't like the program because of the sound of the zombies. That just that's like fingernails on a chalkboard for me. I just I really don't like it. Well, I've not heard that before. That's oh, a good one. Oh, but what like I have to do after yeah. we have watched a movie or two or a program of uh, or two of that kind of stuff, even if it's 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night, I've got to go over to Hulu. And I've got to watch at least one or two episodes of American Dad or Family Guy or King of the Hill. I got to watch or Futura. Um, I got to watch a cartoon. Now, <laughs> I already know they're stupid. And that's why I watch them because they're stupid, they're funny, and it's kind of like. Uh, you need to cleanse your head. And there you go. I got to cleanse my head's palate, so to speak. You know, it's kind of like right. mouthwash for the brain. And then right. I can kind of go to sleep. Um, so I, I couldn't agree with you more in that regard. We're talking with Dr. Mark E. Klein. MarkEKleinMD.com is the website, and the latest work is called Franklin Rock. Uh, and I think that you will enjoy that, too. I've always been fascinated by philosophies. And I'm, I'm guessing here, okay, don't, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm curious. You're Jewish, Correct. I am. How has your Judaism influenced or not influenced not only your writing, but your own personal present-day philosophy? Well, that's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, I don't, so, I don't know if it's so much... The one thing about Judaism, Judaism is a pretty simple idea. You know, mm -hmm. it's not too different than, than Christianity in the sense that, you know, treat others as you have them treat you. Mm-hmm. Be kind, you know, for Jews, um, there is this responsibility literally to fix the world. The, the term is called tikkun alam, it, which means to repair the world. So uh, a Jew is, is required uh, to do all he or she can to make the world a better place, which is, again, not unique to Judaism, certainly. Uh, 
there are a lot of religions that that believe that. So I think that might be part of it. Uh, you know, I've done a lot of reading. Uh, you know, by, by the time you get to the age I am, uh, the what you've grown up with has been it served its purpose, and you've decided either to keep the parts that you like and toss the parts that you don't. Mm-hmm. You don't really mm-hmm. have to depend on them anymore. I tell my own kids, you know, in terms of things about their dad, if the parts of my personality you like incorporate into yours. The parts that you can't stand, jettison them, throw them away. Do not be burdened by them, right? Move, you know, be a better version of me, right? I always want my kids, I want to be a better version than me. And they're being much, they've all succeeded in that. I guess I didn't set the bar high enough, whatever. But they've all certainly exceeded their dad, right? In so many ways. I'm very proud of them. But I think in terms of religion, um, you know, if there's just a few fundamental things you have to you have to get out of religion. I'm not much one one much much one for ritual. Your rituals might be different than mine or the next person, and they're all they're all you're entitled to whatever ritual you want, whatever you like, whatever you enjoy, the music, the, the the candles, whatever it is you like, you're entitled to, and you should enjoy them with your family and friends. Fine, right? The basic story though should be this is basically the same. Be kind, be generous. Make, leave the world better than you found it. Make something of your life also. As you mentioned earlier, right? You, you had this urge to take your success and your diabetes control and translate it into doing other things. You know, this life is a gift. Mm. Do something with it. Don't waste it. Do something. Yeah. You know, I don't mean you have, to, you have to invent something that nobody's seen before. But, you know, if, you, if you've helped enough people, if you've been kind, if you've been generous, if you've done whatever you can with the tools that you were given – Great. Then that's your goal in life. I always say it's goal in life is to start low and end up high as a person. That's all we really have to focus on. If you do that, and we're not going to get it right all the time. We're all going to do stupid things. I, I, my, my list of stupid things. We we don't. Have, how long is this podcast? We wouldn't have enough time <laughs> if we started at the first second and started listing all the stupid things I've done. We would run out of time. That's right. <laughs> so, but that happens to that's true of everybody. Maybe yeah. I, maybe people aren't as quite as, done as many dopey things as I have, but most of us have, right? right? So that's that's okay. But that's the whole point. The whole point. You know, I love when some when a politician says to another politician, 10 years ago you said this." Well, that politician is involved and no longer believes whatever stupid thing they said 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. We should give them a star for that, not chastise them. You want people to think the way they were when they were 16 or 20? Yeah. No, you want people to grow. You want them to change their minds because they've learned, they've experienced, right? Yeah. Don't beat up politicians for changing their mind. If a politician doesn't change his or her mind, find another politician. There you that go. That person stuck in cement. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. By the way, I wanted to touch on one thing we discussed earlier. And again, this is about our dark side. Uh, I did some study uh, regarding the Old Testament and uh, this this concept of the devil, Satan, um, Lucifer, Beelzebub, whatever you want to call him. And from the Jewish perspective, and this is also in conversations I've had on this program with rabbis, I love interviewing rabbis. I absolutely love it because of their insights, especially into the Old Testament, uh, the Torah, uh, in, in regards to some of the questions that I have. And um, one of the rabbis shared with me, but I also found this out in my own study, was that there is no literal, according to the Jewish tradition, there is no literal devil, okay? That, no devil. That, that when that is referred to in the Old Testament, it's referring to the lowest base nature of man. So in other words, as you said earlier, it's in us, 
But that doesn't mean, as the old Indian uh, term goes, th- we don't have to feed that wolf. Okay? We can feed the other wolf who's of a higher level. I don't level. even know if it's in us. You know, that, you know I, I try not to be, to say things that I really have no, there's no way I can have knowledge about. Right. My personal feeling, yeah. I don't believe in the devil. And I don't believe that we're born with this little black pot that you can fill up or not fill up. Okay. I don't, I think... If, if there is evil in somebody, some, you know what, I'll give you an example. Dogs. Right? Do you happen to have a dog, Richard? Oh, yeah. Several of yeah, them. Okay. Right. So dogs. So how do you make a mean dog? Is it mean, a dog's born, born mean? No. Or does the owner, by beating them and, you know, all these horrible things, make a mean dog? Yeah. You make yeah. a mean dog, right? Yeah. You make a mean person. Yeah. You don't take a baby and say, huh, that baby's born evil. No. We make them just like we make mean dogs. We make mean people. And if we stop making mean people, we wouldn't have any. Right. Yeah. We wouldn't have these, 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 the, these devilish people, people we think are just pure evil. We wouldn't have them. We make them. And I, and I, I challenge somebody to find me a really evil person, go back in that person's history from day one. And I can guarantee you that person wasn't brought up, uh, you know, in, uh, I don't know what's a good analogy in the, um, I was going to use Bill Cosby's show, but he's probably not politically correct anymore. But you get the idea. I do. It's yeah. a model TV family, yeah. right? That that person has generally had a really rough go of it from yeah. day one. Let me show you this here. I'm showing to uh, to um, my guest, Mark Klein, a photograph of our big black king shepherd. His name is Angus. And I can feed him by hand. All right. He is eight years old as of our conversation. We got him at eight weeks, and he is, uh, he stands uh, probably with his head up. He probably stands almost thigh high or waist high to me. This is one big dog, 100 pounds, sleeps on the bed with us sometimes. When I was a paper boy, going back to that, and I was bicycling everywhere to, uh, you know, to deliver, I would get chased by a couple of big black dogs. And um, I learned some techniques for trying to uh, um, keep them from doing that. And you would think that that would have kept me from getting a dog in my adult years. But with this dog that we have, Angus, I have only been, and I don't even want to say I was bitten by him, but we were in the process of trying to get he and another German shepherd to cohabitate together, okay, to live together with us. But he didn't want to have anything to do. We had multiple trainers come over to work with him. So one evening, my wife and I are out there with both dogs, and I have a hold of Angus uh, and, and his leash. And finally, I had to barrel hug him, and he whipped around, and he grasped me on the arm with his mouth. All right? He did not clamp down, but he was holding my arm. I did not try to jerk away because I understood why he was doing that. He was upset that he was being forced to make room for this other dog, which eventually we did have to, uh, we gave them, gave her, this was another dog, her name was Bridget, interestingly enough, Bridget. (laughs) Yeah. Um, We gave her to a a rescue service up in Northern California who found an incredible home for her. And... um, but I knew why he had done that. 
But otherwise, he is the most you can you could literally put a piece of food in his mouth with your fingers going past his front teeth. He will not bite. He won't even clamp down. If your fingers are in there, he won't take it. You got to back out. So all he's going to get is the food. It's amazing. And we have treated him almost with kid glovers. I mean, there are those trainers who think, oh, don't make your dog your friend, your your child is a dog. Well, sorry, it doesn't work that way. And yet, you know, for the most part, he's fairly obedient. And so you're absolutely right. You make a dog the way they are. And I tell you, the one technique that I have learned in that example I just shared with you, you have to understand why the animal is behaving the way they are. You do not get the animal to behave the way you want them to. When you understand why they're behaving the way they are, then you can start working with them uh, to, to maybe exhibit a different behavior. Get them to focus on something else, which is a big difference between um, a big difference uh, when it comes to uh, trying to get a dog to sit or stay or come or, or what have you. When you've treated the animal with kindness and love and respect, uh, respect, I think, is extremely important. Then they're more likely to listen to you, to follow the commitment. with people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you treat a person with respect and you're interested in what they said, you give them a chance to talk and hear them out. Yeah. Exactly. That's it works. This, this conversation is fascinating, and I want to continue it. To, first of all, before we wrap things up, tell us about the other two books the previous, the pre, the, that come before Franklin Rock. Uh, give us the titles of those. So the first book was called What Do I Do Now? A Handbook for Life. And it's a self-help book. There are chapters on relationships, of course, chapters on uh, uh, marriage, for instance, chapters on um, uh, honesty and integrity, chapters on friendship. There's also a chapter called Dumb Moves, uh, <laughs> which are the kind of things you probably want to avoid. But the, you know, the short answer, a dumb move is something that can either hurt you, you know, kill you or permanently ruin your life. So you want to try and avoid those. Uh, the second book was called um, um, The Currency of Life, Uncovering the Clues to Why We're Here. And it looks at clues in science. We mentioned some of them today, uh, physics. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not a physics book, but it does talk about some natural science things that give us clues to what the world is about, why we're here. Right. And also things about life. I'll give you a real brief time for a real quick example. Sure, absolutely. Because this is mentioned in this book, Maurice Burnside, uh, one of the characters in Franklin Rock, talks about it with Franklin and, uh, and says, uh, um, you know, he tries to explain to Franklin um, why he let me see I, can, I want to get this right um you know i'm afraid i'm going to mess this up so we'll leave that out we'll, we'll, no, let's continue sure. on to the, i will get back to it but i i don't want to spend too much time i don't i can't make it concise enough to so no we worries spend too much no, time on it. we'll have you back uh you can refresh and we'll have you back on the program to uh, to talk about that i find it fascinating uh that the guests that we have on this program the guests who have been on programs I have produced uh, have enabled me to get what I like to refer to as my metaphysical P, uh, PhD. I have no paperwork to back that up. Some would, uh, of course, use that to say, well, yeah, yeah, it's piled higher and deeper, Richard. That's <laughs> <laughs> but 
but that's okay because there's a pony in there somewhere, I swear. Um, <laughs> so pile it up higher and deeper and I will go after it. But this is just fascinating stuff. I love these kinds of conversations. Uh, and I also love when uh, it sounds strange to love this, when I get uh, I get a guest uh, who loves does not have a problem with saying, you know, that's an interesting point. But and I had that happen once and the gentleman expressed uh, his perspective on what I had said and I listened to it and I took it in and I'm going, yeah, that's I like that. Well, there goes another one of my straw huts up in flame, which is the, my was my response to him, and I'll burn remember, all my huts. Just remember, your guess could have also been wrong. That's true. I love the saying, we both can't be right, but we could both be wrong. Oh, it happens every day. I love that saying. I also love the saying that I was given when I was 21 years old and in a period of uh, comeuppance uh, where they said to me, Richard... It is always best to begin in doubt and end in certainty than begin in certainty and end in doubt. And I've really held to that. Uh, I had a conversation with my sister once. It was on a Thanksgiving afternoon as my mother was cooking in the kitchen. And we were having this conversation in the wrong place, the kitchen. Uh, and uh, my sister was real concerned about my salvation. And I told her, I said, my beliefs of yesterday are not my beliefs of today, are not my beliefs of tomorrow, because I'm still alive. I'm still growing, learning, experiencing. And uh, I don't know what I'm going to believe when I'm 60 or 80 or 100. But all I do know is that my beliefs are going to change as I grow. And that's part of what this program is all about. You talked about Carl Jung. Well, I consider these programs as my therapy. So I thank you, therapist. <laughs> and he's even an MD, folks. I can get a prescription from him for uh, whatever ails me. And that prescription, of course, is going to his website, which is markekleinmd.com. I can get it filled by getting one of his books, including Franklin Rock. And we certainly hope that you will do the same thing. Mark, I want to ask you three final questions, but before I do, I have to mention to our listeners, those of you who are listening or even watching on YouTube, listening on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and other podcast locations that you folks are reposting on interviews to, or on this fine radio station on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. or Monday mornings at 1 a.m. Uh, also, I also want to tell you that uh, if you resonate with these programs and what uh, I and uh, uh, Dr. Klein have been talking about today. We encourage you to support us financially if you can. That's why we have a PayPal and Patreon account. That's for your security as well as ours. We also ask you to go to MarkEKleinMD.com to find out more about our guest and his uh, work, that, the work that he's doing. And then, of course, participate in the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. Please spend time going within, getting to know who you are, because that's the, the first thing you really need to do is know who you are. You're going to get you're not going to get as the if I may, if I may use the phrase, you're not going to get anything fake. All right. It's all going to be real because it's going to be coming from within you. Listen to that still small voice. Find that quiet, peaceful place where you can re-energize, rejuvenate, recenter, refocus yourself so that you can then find out what your life's purpose is and go out and live it. Live it full, thrive in this lifetime. That's what we encourage you to do. 
So now back to our guest and the three questions that I like to ask, and you probably have answered some or all of these uh, in the context of our uh, conversation here on the program, but I like to ask them directly. And the first question is, who is Mark E. Klein? Uh, how come I didn't get these questions ahead? <laughs> For this Who very is, reason. I, you know, honestly, it's not a difficult question. He's a guy that doesn't take himself too seriously, that tries every day to help as many people as he can. He tries to do the right thing and realizes that pretty much every so often he's going to do something pretty dumb that it's going to make him laugh. And he's also a guy who thinks that humor is one of the, one of the uh, fundamental requirements of any life. Eat, sleep. And try and laugh as much as you can. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? You know, this is going to sound so trite, but I, I just want to—I just want to try and do anything I can to try and make the world a better place. Meaning, more specifically, less violent, more kind, more generous, more educated. And I think uh, these are the kind of things that I think. It, if, if most of us focus on this, and I, it's not a unique skill that I have, but I think it's very important because that's what's going to end up making all of our lives, as you just mentioned, far more rewarding. Mm. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Try not to screw it up too badly. Uh, I think it's what I said before to try and to move the needle, to move, to move the world away from violence and away from anger and away from uh, unhappiness exactly in the other direction to a world of peace and kindness and generosity and, and happiness. There's no reason, there's nothing wrong with being happy, but if you're going to be happy, just remember, it's going to require a fair amount of laughter at others and at yourself. One of the things that's happened in this society is, you know, you grew up like I did. Sticks and stones can break your bones, right? Mm -hmm. And words can never harm you. Well, not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> not anymore, yeah. right? Yeah. Who's worried about sticks and stones? It's those words that are going to hurt us. Well, if we all just step back and not take ourselves too seriously and realize that not everybody's trying to hurt us and just give people slack, judge people favorably, it'll all work out a lot better for everybody. Give everybody the benefit of the doubt, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely. And Dr. Mark E. Klein, thank you again for joining us here on the program. This has been a great pleasure. And, um, you know, you talked about uh, this relationship. And and I'm just going to say it. I'm going to say it, ladies and gentlemen. I can't help it. I just, I feel, I feel a bromance coming on. <laughs> I really do. This has been fabulous. I want to have you back. And you know what? Uh, I, 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 not to, not to uh, be too heady here, but uh, I've had the great pleasure of interviewing Bernie Siegel. I know you're familiar with him. And um, I, I'm going to have him on as many times as I can before he leaves this earth. Uh, but I would love to have you on this program as well to continue our conversations and and to incite people, if I may use that word. I know it's sort of a dirty word a little bit. Well, I'm going to clean it up to incite people to happiness. I mean, our founding fathers, my God, they put it in our founding documents to pursue happiness. Okay, life, liberty. They could have put in there we uh, of these inalienable rights, life, liberty, and property, and owning property. They could have put that in there. You know what's interesting about that? Yeah. And I've read this before. What they meant by happiness may not be exactly what we think. I think it's more the happiness that you talk about, which is a happiness based on virtue. Yes. And, and living a, a, a virtuous and good, you know, useful and important life. Yeah. It's not and, just partying. It's 
making something right. of it. Right. And, and I will add this one last thing, okay? I, I don't want to be really clear about this. And I realize that this is going to grate against a lot of people. But you want to know something? I honestly wish for Donald J. Trump. I wish. I want him to be genuinely happy. I mean, my God. He looked miserable from the day he started running to the day that he won, the day that he took office, and every day since. He just looked miserable. I, I want that for everybody, including him. He's a human being. Ergo, he deserves to be within our society and civilization. We may not like his past. And what you said earlier about what people said 10 years ago, come on, let us grow here. I want that for him, too. You know? Well, you're a good man because that's the right way. For yeah. instance, you know, it's not it's not whether you agree with his principle. Certainly what he did last week, I don't think anybody agrees with. Right. Uh, nobody, nobody's happy. I mean, when I, when I watched those windows breaking on the Capitol, I felt like people were breaking into my house. Yeah. Nevertheless, nevertheless, right. You know, if by I know people who wish he were dead, who wish. He oh. was, you know, and I'm thinking. Here's a really good reason you shouldn't feel that way. Besides some ethical, moral high ground that I'm going to take, that, that's a terrible thing. You shouldn't feel that way because it's going to make you feel badly. Yeah. If you want to spend your life feeling miserable, wish evil on other people. If you want to be a happy person, wish the best. When somebody else wins the lottery, right, you should be thrilled for them. Yeah. Right. Okay. You, instead of saying, why not, why them, why not me? You should be thrilled for them. It's the same thing with the cake, with that piece of chocolate cake. Give it away. Give away the last piece of cake. You're going to feel a thousand times better than if you ate it. Yeah. You know, and I think we'll leave on that note. And I thank you again for joining us and for sharing with us uh, these little insights as well. And let's just wish all the people who are beside themselves with grief and frustration and all of those things, let's wish them all happiness. I mean, because we all deserve it, regardless of where we are on whatever spectrum that you want to talk about. And I thank you again for sharing that. Well, you know, if we don't kill each other first, the future is brilliant. Absolutely. So I'm thank you, Richard. I, I can't thank you enough for having me on your show. It's been a tremendous pleasure for me, and I, I know that we will be ch chatting with each other again. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm Richard Dugan, and I want to thank you for listening and watching, because we're on YouTube as well, and you can listen to as well as watch uh, our, uh, us uh, here on the program. On uh, We have about 70 uh, interviews up on uh, Richard Dugan, the channel, on YouTube. Tell me your story. Hope you'll find it. Just look for the guy with the hat, okay? Easy to find. I'm Richard Dugan, and I thank you again for joining us here on the program, and uh, we hope that you will join us again for our next broadcast, podcast, videocast. Until then, love to love.